Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Venice, Italy. Uh, I am a cruise ship fanatic, but nobody beats me to that better than my next guest, he is a longtime cruise ship fanatic, in fact, longtime ship fanatic. I would like to call him our resident historian as well, our good pal, Peter Canego. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. Great to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, how could I be doing badly? I'm on the Silver Spirit here in Venice um, oh and uh, on a beautiful, beautiful day. And, you know, every time I sail into Venice, I, I like to romanticize that... Uh, I've been sailing here in like five previous lives. It's, um, and in fact, I think I have. And this ship was so big that we literally towered over St. Mark's Square. I mean, we towered over it. Um, Silver Spirit's a much smaller ship. We don't really tower over much, which is kind of nice because we actually get to see the skyline. We're not the skyline. Uh, but you've seen all the evolution of all of these ships here in Venice, and, and they're actually trying to start to limit the tonnage that comes into Venice, aren't they? Yeah, I think you know that there's um, they're reporting damage now to a lot of the, the foundations around the uh, the monuments because of the the water ingress from the ships coming in. So I hope they can solve that because obviously um, 
it's such a great port to sail into, and hopefully maybe they'll start building some smaller ships that, uh, that don't create that problem that people can use. And you're on one, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan. Listen, I understand the bigger ships. It's a different market. I understand what they can do that the smaller ships can't. And conversely, I can understand what the smaller ships can do that the bigger ships can't. And uh, it's a very nice feeling, to, or a more intimate feeling, I should say, to be on a ship with only about 600 passengers as opposed to 6,000 passengers. Yeah, and especially with when it's a Silver Sea ship like you're on. But is, uh, is Paolo the hotel manager? With you guys on this sailing? <laughs> oh, you know, only you, only you would ask questions on a first name basis about who's on this ship. You're out. You're out of your. You're out of your mind. I love it. Uh, you know what? I will check. Uh, what? I, but, but what I do know. Was, yeah. It, yeah. It, no, go ahead. Was, <laughs> his dad was a Costa captain, and goes way, way back uh, to the early days of Costa Line. And when I found that out, of course, he became one of my favorite people, and he's got a lot of great stories. So, so you may want to track him down if he is. I will. Speaking of great stories, you know, I, I note with some sorrow the passing uh, earlier this summer of a John Maxstone Graham, who truly was one of the great historians when it comes to maritime history, not just cruise lines, but but ships of all kinds. Uh, wrote so many great books, including one about the Normandy. Um, and what a great storyteller he was. Yeah, he was, to me, the great ocean liner raconteur. Um, if, if Cary Grant were an ocean liner historian and lecturer, I think, um, you know, that's pretty much what John Maxstone Graham was like. He just had the greatest stories. He was an elegant man, always impeccably dressed, fighting sense of humor. Uh, it was actually his book, The Only Way to Cross, which was published in 1972, that got me into ships, that and the Poseidon Adventure, which actually came out the same year. I was, I was smitten with ocean <laughs> liners. And his text, it, it's written like poetry. I mean, he was really, really an elegant man, the kind of people uh, that you just don't see today. Um, he was a superb storyteller. I remember on the Rotterdam's final voyage, uh, he did a lecture about the Titanic, um, about Violet Jessup, the stewardess who served not only aboard the Titanic, but aboard the Britannic when it was sunk, the sister ship of the Titanic, and worked on the Olympic when it had a collision. So she had a fantastic story alone. But John, for some reason, there was there was a problem with the electricals in the auditorium, and they couldn't set up his, his uh, presentation. So he just stood on stage, just this one man by himself for over an hour, and told the stories. And that was one of the most incredibly riveting performances I have ever seen. I mean, he truly was like a man of the stage. Peter, stay with me for one second. When we come back, more with you when we return to the Silver Spirit here in Venice, because the stories that John Maxstone Graham said, just the beginning of a much bigger story. Back with more right after this. What, 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 what? Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We've been speaking with historian Peter Canego about all ships at sea, some of them floating, some of them no longer with us. Um, and 
speaking also about a wonderful historian named John Maxstone Graham, who, by the way, debunked the myth in one of his books that the Normandy was actually sabotaged by the Nazis when it basically burned and and uh, almost, uh, uh, well, basically burned and was lost forever at a pier in New York, uh, the famous French ship Normandy. And, and this is what he wrote, which I thought was fascinating. He he. he described the what was left of that ship as upended, demeaned, and, undign- and undignified, like a dowager who, slipping on a wintry sidewalk, falls with upraised skirt, helpless prey for voyeurs. <laughs> you couldn't, I mean, and when you saw what was left of that ship after the fire, he got it. Yeah, the, well, the Normandy was the most beautiful ship ever built. I think almost any ship enthusiast would, would agree to that. And what happened to her was so devastating, and the process of raising her took years, and by the time they got her up, she was just a gutted, rusted hull. And it was really one of the saddest things that could have possibly happened. But in a way, it made the Normandy like the Marilyn Monroe of cruise ship, of ocean liners. She, she, she died at a beautiful age at her, at her prime, and everybody remembers what, what she was instead of what she became later on, which, you know, nobody said she was tired and, and worn out like they did with the Queens in the 60s when they were sailing half full. So in a way, it preserved her legend, but it was a tragedy for all of us. Well, speaking of hulls that were somewhat forgotten, whatever happened with the SS United States? United States is still sitting in Philadelphia. Uh, there is a sort of a mum plan, uh, they have an investor who's very, very interested in bringing her, it's believed, to the Port of New York to be preserved as a museum, hotel, uh, convention center type facility. But they can't release any details because it's still in negotiation and they don't want to destroy the negotiation process. So, So that's the latest rumor. It's been going on for a few months. Um, But apparently these new investors are helping with the funding of of keeping the ship at the pier, which has been their biggest problem. I believe it's a $30,000 a month bill just to keep the United States sitting idle. Uh, And then they have to keep people on or to make sure that, you know, valves are cleared and the decks aren't filled with water and various things like that when it rains. So it's it's been quite a process, um, and people are keeping their hopes high, but it has been a long, long time that that ship has sat idle with nothing but plans and nowhere to go. Well, you, you know, you mentioned the investor. At one point, I think Norwegian Cruise Lines had an interest in that ship, correct? Yes, they did. They were going to try to bring her back for their Hawaii cruise service, and they had been projecting a, a four-ship fleet. But as you know, the Hawaiian venture didn't go as well as they planned, and they scaled down from three ships at one time to just one now. And I think that they're even having trouble keeping that ship full um, because people are more interested in going overseas right now than Hawaii. Well, I'll get to that in a second. But speaking of the SS United States, are there any other ships of its era or slightly after it that are just sitting idly by with nobody knowing what to do with them? Um, I, well, sadly, one just went for scrap, this beautiful little Turkish liner called the Actinese, which was 100% intact, and nobody's heard of it, but it was an important ship because it was the very last of its kind. Um, and then a few years later than that, uh, in 1959, Holland America built the Rotterdam, which was a dual transatlantic liner and cruise ship. Fortunately, 
her story is wonderful. She's been beautifully preserved in the city of Rotterdam. It did take a $230 million, or 230 million euro investment to remove all the asbestos and to rebuild the ship as a floating hotel. But finally, when they did it, after two bankruptcies, this company that's running the ship is doing a superb job. I, I went to stay on board a couple nights earlier this year and was blown away. It was so nice to see this beautiful ship with all this incredible artwork and wood paneling and these elegant two-deck lounges, grand staircases. She's been beautifully restored, and it looks like the city of Rotterdam is loving her, um, which is not the usual case when they try to preserve a ship. It usually ends up being a financial disaster. And I think right now the Rotterdam's in really good hands, and she's a success. So that's one thing to rejoice. There's, there's one ship that's sitting around actually fulfilling a purpose in its afterlife, in addition to the Queen Mary, of course. You're, you're right. I was actually on the last voyage of the Rotterdam from uh, from Rotterdam to uh, to New York before it was sold and then finally brought back to Rotterdam as, as a floating hotel. And I was on it last year and was very impressed as well, simply because I didn't expect anybody to take an interest in it. And yet so many people had transited the ocean, had crossed the ocean on the Rotterdam. There was such an emotional connection with that ship that when I was on it last year, uh, a lot of people were taking their kids and their grandkids around to show them where they'd stayed on the ship. I thought that was really quite touching. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go I remember years ago, I was on the last cruise, literally the last cruise of the Rotterdam, uh, going from uh, basically from uh, Rotterdam to New York before uh, Holland America sold the ship. And there was a woman on the ship, uh, and I was told, you better watch out for her because she lives on the ship and she's single, and her name is Kissing Annie. And if you go into the dining room after dinner, right, she's going to come after you and make you kiss her and dance with her. And they were right. <laughs> okay. But then I got a chance to talk to Annie, and you know what? She had the best life going. She literally figured out a way to live full-time on that ship, and she was very sad because she was literally losing the ship. Joining me now, Joseph and Susan Buckley from Annapolis, Maryland, who I just happened to bump into here on the ship. You've cruised how long on Silver Sea? Since 1996. Wow. And how many times a year? About. We're on four or five months. Wow. Five, so, six. And so five, the authorities six. haven't found you yet? No, no. no, no they Incognito. Haven't. No. Wow. How did you decide to do that? How did we decide to cruise so much? And then, well, first of all, how did you decide to cruise? And then pick one line and just stay with it. Um, we started cruising in the mid-70s on other lines, because obviously Silver Sea did not exist. So what lines were they? Oh, we've been on Holland American, we've been on Cunard, we've been on Sea Dream, we've been on the f- one with the sails. Windstar. 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 We've been on... Crystal. Crystal. So basically, you've been thrown off every other cruise. That's right. Yes. The only one left. I just want to make the sure that the only place that would accept you would be... The only, the only you would be left <laughs> where we can go. Yeah, we just... I said, we've tried every region, everybody. Uh, Seaborn. But this seems to fit us best. This fits us best. Why? The crew. The crew. 
It's all about the crew. Everybody has pretty ships. It's the crew. You know, I'm one of those people who believes in the word that starts with a C. It's called the conversation. Mm -hmm. You you engage people. You Mm -hmm. talk to them. You learn about them. And next thing you know, relationships develop, right? So I would guess, how many days have you been on on on, on Silver Sea or cruises? Over 1,800. 1,800 days. Yeah. So I would suspect, and Joseph, you tell me if I'm wrong, that as you walk down the hallways of the ship and along the gangways and along the, the different decks, everybody says, hi, Joseph. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And if they don't, then they're the new guys on board. <laughs> then they learn. <laughs> <laughs> then they learn. Then, then we welcome them aboard. Yeah. You do? Yeah. You're yeah. part of the welcoming committee now. That's yeah. correct. So they haven't given you a uniform with stripes yet? <laughs> no, no, but I have a name tag. <laughs> you do? Yes. Oh my! It's it's getting out of control, then, isn't yeah, it? We, we've actually tended bar some crew parties. So, you see, now you know you've made it <laughs> when they let you go to the crew deck. <laughs> it's true. Shh. No, it's the, the secret's out. It's over. Yeah, secret's I out. know. Yeah, well, let's let's face it. That's where the fun parties are. Yeah, Come on, you know, I'm right? What's the biggest surprise for you now? Because I would think that you're such veterans on this ship. You take you take it for, it for granted now. Mm-hmm. It's home. It's our other home. P- people live in New York and Tokyo. We live in Annapolis and Silver Sea. And the cool thing is you're never unpacking. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, every once in a while, once you're here, you're here, right? Oh, sure, yeah. sure. But we do sail on all, all five of the original ships, so the, the luggage occasionally has to move back and forth. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear <laughs> it's that. It's terrible. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. just disgusting. Yeah. Someone should write a letter. Uh, your friends back home, do, they, do you think something's abnormal here? No, they they uh, usually start a conversation with, okay, let me get this straight. You live on the water, you have a boat, and you cruise. Okay, so the question is, I love the water. We love the water. So back in Annapolis, where do you live? On the bay, Chesapeake Chesapeake Bay. Bay. So you're on the water all the time. Yes. Unbelievable. I was born and raised on the beach. Very lucky people. We're very lucky saying, you know, if you you can live on the water, you're lucky enough. Uh, I totally agree with you because I live on the water. So we're we're both very lucky. Lucky Okay, devil's advocate question. What do you not like about the ship? This ship or any any ship? This ship, yeah, this ship. Let's start any with any ship. ship. Uh, any ship. I don't know. I think sometimes the guests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this ship is not little, our kind, dear. This no. ship is a little too big for me. So this one is. Yeah. Okay, but but relative to other ships, it's very intimate. That's correct. Relative. Yeah. All right. And what do you like about this ship? Well, I, I think it's the crew, basically. Crew and the team that runs the ship. I mean, they're really nice to us, and we have fun with them. Now, because you've been here so long, the word special request, does that ring a, ring a bell at all? Yes, of course. What are your special requests on this ship? The food is, is lovely, but when you're here as long as we are, you get tired of it. So what do you do? We have roast chicken, mashed potatoes, and peas. Something simple. Every <laughs> night? No, no, no. no, no. no. Oh, okay, okay. No, but that's about all we. Yeah, that's about it. Is. So that's a special order that's for you. A yes, special it is. Order. <laughs> but I, I will say this: yeah. I mean, anything you want, they'll get you. If they've got it, they'll get it. If okay, it's on what, ship. okay. So here's my question: What's the craziest thing you ever asked for? They got you. Duct tape. Duct tape. <laughs> Was somebody misbehaving? No, no, no. <laughs> um, early on, when the ships first started, don't tell him, and um, the the curtains and the drapes were cut very tightly yeah there was not a, any extra material and i can't sleep if it's light so you had to black out the room That's yeah right. yeah so i duct taped the ends of the drapes so basically your room looked like you were taking hostages and you were a barricaded <laughs> yes. suspect yes where are the wagons 
The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? Honored to have with us the captain of the Silver Spirit, Alessandro Zanello. Did I say it right? You said it right, yeah. Yeah, but you Pleasure hear that accent? Here. Wait a minute. But, but that accent, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a Zanello. <laughs> well, I am a Zanello, but uh, I'm half Australian, so... I've been told that I've got a very interesting accent, for sure. And, uh, okay, how did a half-Australian guy get to Venice on the Silver Spirit? Well, my father was a captain, and uh, he met my mother on a, on a ship that was called the Fiesta, uh, ex-Sitmar. The Fiesta? Uh, oh, my God. Star. Oh, the Star. Yeah, and then became P&O holidays. Uh, and uh, some 42 years later, here I am on the Silver Spirit. Uh, wow. So, yeah. And the, that's the Australian part is from my mom, and uh, so and my dad is obviously with that last name is Italian. But you trained in Italy. I trained in Italy. I went to school in Italy. I only spent my Christmas holidays in Australia, but uh, I grew up. I grew up in Italy. Yeah. Now you first came on board what the Silver Wind? Silver Wind, 1999. Yeah, was my first contract with Silver Sea. Yes. How has cruising changed for you in terms of where you're going and how you do your job? Well, I started in 93 with Princess, so it was a completely different company. What uh, ship was it? Star Princess. Wow. The old Star Princess. The old one, yeah. yes. And uh, Which was a completely uh, different cruising experience, uh, different size of ship, obviously. Was and it the same size as the Pacific Princess, wasn't it? It was a little bit bigger. Yeah. Well, it was about 60,000 Because yeah, people forget that the Pacific Princess, the original love boat, yeah. right, which they just broke up last year. Yeah. Finally, they broke it up. Yeah. It was a very small ship. It was a tiny ship. Now, the Star Princess was not as small. It was uh, a good size. It's still sailing in yeah. the Pacific. As what? Pacific Jewel or something like that down, down wow. in Australia, New Zealand. And uh, so I moved to Silver Sea in 1999 uh, as the Silver Sea had an Italian flagship. And I didn't know what to expect. Uh, people asking me to come here uh, and uh, I fell in love with it it's a completely different experience uh, you're re- really familiar with all the crew on board you know it's uh, and destinations were very different than doing the same seven day cruise over and over again for six well, months well this ship is a relatively new ship and so the systems on this ship are new yes I mean the, the, just your steering mechanisms your propulsion systems yeah. uh, your joysticks yeah right? we don't have a joystick as a matter of fact on this ship you don't we don't I'm, no. I'm, you know what I'm so happy to hear that <laughs> you know it's just sort of like somebody actually does it? Yeah, we do it manually here. Uh, we, we've I, got bow thrusters, obviously, but we don't have a joystick oh, that does everything Everybody together. has bow thrusters. Well, you need bow thrusters, yeah. uh, but uh, we don't have a joystick that combines all the all the systems. And no one. pods? No, as a pod, no. You know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, too, because you, you get pods, they break. They do break, and uh, I think that uh, if you learn to dock a ship with a uh, very basic, then you can dock any ship. So Exactly. Uh, it's like when, when you first learn to drive a car, you learned with a manual transmission yeah. and no power steering. Exactly. Once you do that, you can do anything. Absolutely, yeah. But what are your challenges in the ports that you're going to? Well, the ports, the, the challenges are mostly related to the weather, uh, wind uh, and uh, tight spots that we go to. So I think that's the biggest challenge, uh, the the changing of the weather, depending on the itinerary. So that's pretty much the only challenge that we go. Then there are day-to-day challenges, but I mean, uh, day-to-day operation challenges. But I would say the weather's got the biggest impact in calling or not calling a port, for sure. I mean, in so many ports, so you're required to have a tugboat, but you don't need it. 
Correct. Yeah, in a lot of in a lot of countries, it's compulsory to have it, so it's part of the port fees. But and right. uh, I would say nine times out of ten, we don't use it. Uh, but it's nice to have it in case you need it for sure. You know, when I've trained in a number of the simulators, and they all have joysticks these days, so <laughs> I'm not used to that, right? <laughs> but even when they don't have the joysticks, what people don't realize is you build up such momentum, even at slow speeds, yeah. that if you don't judge your distance, you're in trouble. Yes, it's all about anticipating here uh, compared to uh, a, a boat or uh, obviously a plane it's all about doing things in advance and predict what's going to happen that's the that's the challenge and as i was saying when the changing weather forecast that's what can have the impact well regardless of weather what would you say in your cruising experience has been your most difficult port to navigate uh the difficult port i would say well last last february as a matter of fact we were in fiji and uh we were supposed to go alongside but there was another ship there and the pilot told me that there was enough space for us to find out that there was there was two meters of space so we stopped about three meters from the other ship and two meters from the ship and you made from it a, we made it because it was, all, it was also turn around port so we had to make it right and uh but yeah the other ship that was supposed to let's, let's say the thrusters were working heavy the thrusters were working heavy and the weather was good but it was pretty tight but you know and uh sometimes that happens uh you know especially in some ro- remote location like in other countries where the more organized these things don't happen but fiji is uh pretty remote i would say it's amazing when you think the explosion of the cruise industry and yet so many different countries have not really upgraded their ports Yes, that is true, unfortunately. But I think it's changing, and in, in a lot of places, uh, cruising is booming. So I think it's only a matter of time. Oh, sure. Get ready for Cuba. Yes, absolutely. And I I'm, and I'm sure be... that you guys are looking at that, too. Everybody wants to go to Cuba, <laughs> right? They well, want to be first on their block. Yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a big rush to get to Cuba to yes. add ports because there are so many ships around now and everybody's looking for different ports. Well, but... they've actually charted about eight viable harbors already. Oh, I uh, didn't even know that, but, yeah. That doesn't mean they have docks. No, no. <laughs> but with Silver Sea, we go to really remote locations. and uh, So you're used to it? We're used to it, and we, we used to tender a lot as well as we go to places where there are, they don't have any infrastructure. So, uh, so today, Venice, tomorrow, Cuba. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe. Captain Alessandro Zanello, Zanello from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> the captain of the Silver Spirit. Thanks, Thank you very much. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. From uh, a very special cruise ship on a very special cruise line, if you really want a, a more intimate experience and not mass tourism, I mean, I'll, I'll be kind. I, I got in trouble one day when I was on CBS and I described some of these larger cruise ships as being so big they've got high crime areas on board. Um, and of course, I was kidding, but they are small towns. This ship, less than 600 passengers, very intimate, and goes to ports that a lot of places, a lot of ships don't go. And uh, d- different experiences. And normally, you know, you'd have, you know, you interview the captain on the ship, and, and, and that's, that's the case here, of course. But we're lucky today because I get to interview the owner. He's the owner of Silver Sea, and he's a friend of mine, Manfredi Lefebvre. Hey, Manfredi, how are you? Hello, Peter. So with that kind of an introduction... Uh, Not bad. I'm glad you grade me on that. But on, on that kind of introduction, let, let's talk about how cruising has changed because you've been in this business a long time. Uh, you know, when you, when you think about 
the style of cruising, but most importantly, the expectations of the passengers. Uh, you have a very demanding set of passengers because this is in the luxury cruise area. Oh, yeah. My, my experience, I started in 1987, being involved in cruising. We built the first two new style cruise ships for a company called Sitmar at the time. So it's been a long way. I remember Sitmar. In fact, I... I, I uh, I, I met a friend of mine who, who then went over to Princess, who was the public relations person for Sitmar, and uh, and Sitmar's no longer there; is they're gone. It got merged into Princess. Yeah. In any case, after that experience, we started Silver Sea twenty years ago, and it was the first company to introduce all inclusiveness, and uh, almost all the cabins with balconies, and, and that was a big game changer at the time. But uh, you know that's become the rule of the game in the luxury cruise segment, and. Things are changing, evolving always more. But, so, but, but uh, let's talk about the words all-inclusive because one of my big pet peeves in the travel industry is when somebody says the words all-inclusive, it's usually followed by an asterisk. And that's usually telling you all the things that are not included, right? Yes. Uh, but when you came on board or you came online with this concept of a truly all-inclusive cruise, it really it really is that. Yes. you On board the ship, you can basically do everything. If you want to have a massage at the spa, that's on top of it. Right. But uh, food, uh, drinks, uh, breakfast, uh, theater, everything is included. And tipping? No tipping. Now, okay, let's talk about that because it's one thing to say you have a no tipping policy, but Americans, everything is different in different cultures. But in America, we're used to tipping, right? It's sort of something like where everybody is expecting to tip. In, in, in on most cruises, you're even told what to tip. Uh, so by the time someone comes on your ship for the first time, there's sort of that expectation that they're going to have to. So it's sort of a, it's an adjustment, isn't it, for people to realize that oh, they don't have to? Absolutely. One thing is to tip because you're you're very satisfied of the service. You want to gratify somebody. Another thing is because that is part of his compensation. He's not paid by the restaurant or whatever. He's paid by you for the tip. At that point, he expects you. So I'll tell you, I'll give you a little anecdote. When I was 18, I go to Boston. I have to pick up a girl and take her to a restaurant. I take a taxi. I arrive at the restaurant. The bill was $19.90. I had a $20 note. So I give him the $20 note. And I try to evacuate the taxi as fast as I could. <laughs> Not fast enough to have the taxi driver throwing at me a dime and saying, you need it more than I do. So that was my experience <laughs> with U.S. tipping. <laughs> So you learned the hard way. I there. learned the hard yeah. way. But on, on this ship, what happens if a passenger wants to tip? Yeah, well, of course, you can't uh, prohibit somebody to give some, uh, uh, you know, a sign of recognition to somebody. What is it? It is. It's not expected. that People are not going to treat you differently. You don't have the list of the tips that you must give at the end of the cruise. Yeah, I remember being given envelopes and a list of who gets what, whether it was the wine steward, your waiter, the housekeeper. I mean, it went down a whole list. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is, for a European, it's unusual to see that uh, uh, tipping is a way to compensate the people. In the U.S., if you don't give, if you give 15%, it's, it's not enough. Right. Now it's, it's, it's increasing. 20, of course. Absolutely. It's increasing. So all-inclusive here, with the exception maybe of a, a, a spa treatment, is really all A spa treatment, if you want to have a special wine uh, uh, you know, some special uh, Bordeaux wine. But, you know, the basic is all-inclusive, everything which is on the ship. Now, in the development and the growth of a cruise line, uh, and you can see this also in the airline business, you know, you reach a certain point of, of uh, 
of diminishing returns in terms of size. You know, can you grow to be too big? Yeah. The, the, the concept of too big is uh, relative to times and what you get. So when we started Silver Sea, the two ships that we built were 300 passengers. Today, the ship we're building is 600 passengers. But uh, uh, there is an increase in size. But you, you do, we are learning how to do it without uh, uh, losing the sense of intimacy and uh, the community perception. And, uh, of course, compensating some bigger size with more to do on board. So it evolves. But you reach a point, sometimes the diminishing returns where, I mean, I, I see it in the airline business where, you know, they try to grow too big, they try to go too fast, they, they build too much, they try to fly everywhere. How many ships do you have? Currently operating eight and nine under construction. Okay. Compared to, let's say... 104 Carnival Corporation. Exactly. <laughs> That's uh, they're very successful. I mean, it's, uh, so... But it's a different... Number bi- of but, ships, it's a, but it's a bis- different business model. Yeah, but I mean, it's not only 104 ships. It's the number of passengers they carry, uh, which is immense uh, because they're big ships. Right. Now, I mean, there is a product for everybody. Some people enjoy to be on a very large community at sea. Some people hate it. And so, and then some people like to go to uh, some uh, shopping destination in the Caribbean, and some people like to go instead in some remote destination in the Russian Far East, like I was recently. Right. Plus, you've got a ship in the Galapagos. We have a ship in the Galapagos. We have ships in a lot of remote areas, which is on top of our classic luxury cruising. Which is new for you because you're giving passengers choices other than the traditional ports. Yeah, it's it's something more. No, so we. Really, today we go almost everywhere in the world. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Deviadaris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because 
Even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.